Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacist to care. And uh, thank you so much for joining me this morning here on this Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla and uh, I will be your host on this program for the next hour. And uh, you know, being a Medical Monday, we look at different issues, we look at them in depth and we get the top top experts to uh, to come in and share their knowledge with us in a you know platform in a way and on a platform that uh, doesn't often happen i mean how often do you get uh, access to these top experts well actually once a week if you speak if you listen to the disc medical monday today we're talking about something that's quite getting more and more common uh, approximately 11% of children between the ages of 14 and 17 years of age that's uh, if if you look at uh, the stats from the United States that 6.4 million children um, have been diagnosed with this and uh, they were diagnosed in 2011 so these stats come from 2011 they are a little bit older but I think that uh, it's, if anything more and more people are being diagnosed because now people are being diagnosed with it in in adulthood. What am I talking about? I'm talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And uh, joining me this morning, we've invited in a very, very special doctor. Her name is Dr. Savani Partha, uh, and she is a certified child and adolescent psychiatrist. So uh, welcome to HiFM. Thank you very, very much for coming into studio. This really is your domain. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. Yes, this is definitely the domain of child and adolescent psychiatrists. But like you're saying, we're seeing more and more adolescents as well as adults being diagnosed with ADHD. So this is a disorder that affects most people and is becoming more prevalently diagnosed but has been a disorder that has been around for a very long time and I think what's prompted people to be aware of problems with attention and hyperactivity is that there is more awareness people have access to the internet and with that a lot of information is available at our fingertips, but we must be very aware of the kind of med- of the kind of information we're accessing, and why it's important that you have someone who has experience with treating ADHD is that there's also a lot of misinformation and controversies regarding this di- this disorder that has been around for quite a long time, but we're seeing at more and more in our children that we're treating as well as teenagers and adults as well. I found it so interesting because, you know, what you've just said actually begs the question, has it always been around? Have there always been human beings with ADHD? Or is this a modern uh, syndrome? Well, it's not a syndrome, but a, a modern condition. A modern condition or disorder. If you look at attention... If we look at attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it is what it says on the label. There are problems with attention. There are problems with hyperactivity. Some people have more problems with attention, while other people have more problems with hyperactivity. But attention is something that we can look at on a spectrum. So each individual has a different or varying degrees of the ability to take to take in information and concentrate for periods of time. So we're all on a spectrum with regards to attention. But what is specifically a problem with children with inattentive problems is that they all have a very short attention span. They all can only concentrate for a very short period of time. And that has been the case for years. So because... It's been documented more recently, and we are able to access things like the American Psychiatric Association's DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which gets updated every few years. And within that manual, terminology changes, and because it's an evolving, psychiatry is always evolving. We're always using more research 
to help with our diagnostic and treating ability, it may it may seem as if this is something that's new and that's why more and more people are being diagnosed with it now, but it's something that's just come up recently. But if you look at it historically, in terms of old psychiatric text, you will find that these disorders were present but may have been called different names, like a hyperkinetic disorder, because people focused more on the hyperactivity or dyskinetic disorder. But it's recently with more and more research being done, especially in the United States, where a lot of research comes through and where the American Psychiatric Association updates the manual, which is used worldwide. With each edition, there are changes to perhaps names as we learn more more and more research goes into it. But the crux and the disorder has been there for decades. It's only now that we have formal associations and psychiatry is a discipline that more recently has more associations and with the diagnostic manuals and we're pooling together lots of resource and there's communication between and deeper understanding we're yes. recognizing it more easily it's also in the in, you know in the public domain all of a sudden exactly. your average person your average south african is aware of a condition called adhd oh bubbles look did you see that no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> okay so um let's just talk a little the reason that i asked is you know is it decades old this this um this condition or is it centuries old because I think one needs to look I think with diagnosis of anything Mm -hmm. whether you're talking about cancer or whether you're talking about ADHD lifestyle is important Um, before we talk about lifestyle can you just explain in the brain of somebody with ADHD if you had to take that brain and put it into an MRI What does that brain look like that is different from somebody who doesn't have ADHD? So does it look different? Is there any any functionality that's different? Structurally on a scan they won't there aren't any differences. So for example a CAT scan, a CT scan, it's not going to show you any anatomical differences. But if you were to look at um, scans that look at metabolism, scans that look at blood flow. So those are, so you can look at a functional MRI, you can look at a SPECT scan or a PET scan. So these are scans that look at the actual functioning of the areas, different areas in the brain. So the actual cells within those areas. And if you looked at a scan of a child with or an individual with ADHD, you would find that in the area of the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of our brain, and specifically the orbitofrontal cortex, which is on the side, that area of the brain is really where we have differences between children with ADHD and what we call a normotypical child who does not have ADHD. So that area of the brain is what controls our impulsivity, our planning, thinking, our ability to focus, shift attention, bring attention back. So we call that the executive functioning area of the brain. Okay, so the prefrontal cortex and the orbital cortex. Just the repeat that. What are the what are the functions that the that those cortexes are are responsible for? You said impulsivity, focus, focus, um, shifting attention. So shifting attention and bringing that attention then back. So like you were saying, oh, there's bubbles. So with someone without ADHD, we'd notice the bubbles, but then we'd come back to what we were doing right now. Whereas with someone with ADHD is going to go off and follow the bubbles and forget about what they what task they were doing at the time. That's focusing on the task at hand and straining out the stimuli that may be present that would distract a child with problems with attention. You're on 101.9 High FM. This is the Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. If you've just uh, joined me now, my guest is Dr. Savani Partha. She is a 
child and adolescent psychiatrist. We're talking about ADHD and really trying to understand it. Um, if you've got any questions, you are welcome to send them through either on uh, the SMS line 34519. That's the SMS number. And those SMSs are charged at 150. Alternatively, you can WhatsApp from anywhere in the world and you can send us voice notes as well. Uh, 062-148-2374. That's the WhatsApp number for HIFM and uh, I'll get those those messages straight away. Dr. Partha, um is this a development, is ADHD a developmental uh, condition? Yes. Um, so at what, at what stage does, you know, does the prefrontal cortex and the orbital cortex develop in a child? Well, the frontal lobes comparatively compared to the other parts of the brain, so the other lobes. So you've got um, ADHD is implicated predominantly within the frontal lobe. And with normal development, the frontal lobe is actually the very, very last lobe to completely develop. It actually completes development in the early 20s. So while we're all busy studying at school and at university or college, our frontal lobes are still actually developing and development is completely... And that's amazing because that makes our brains like sponges. Then we can retain that information. And we're always changing and that is... That is so evident in the course of ADHD, which has a childhood onset, but during the course and the development of the individual goes through different stages and changes as the child or the individual's own brain is developing in their own normal process. So interesting. Years ago, um, I actually did an investigation into the relationship between television, early exposure to television, and ADHD. And uh, I can see you nodding your head. You, you're, you're aware of this, right? Um, but it's quite an amazing thing that a child with ADHD will be able to concentrate on a television program to the exclusion of everything else. It's actually hard to get that child's attention away from that, uh, from this, uh, from whatever they're watching on the television. And, uh, you know, it made me start questioning about all the different ways that the brain, that the human brain develops. You know, today we raise children. Um, Often these kids are in, you know, these little rocking chairs, right, that, you know, now the mommy wants to go to the shop. So she picks up the rocking chair and it's got a handle and gets transferred to the car where it becomes a car seat, Right, the child's body hasn't actually moved. They are in exactly the same position. She goes shopping. She takes it. It's over her arm like a little basket, and she goes shopping with the baby. And then she goes home, and the baby's asleep, and so she doesn't want to wake the baby up, and the baby stays in the in the in the carrier. And um, when I through my research, I learned the following, and I just there is a point. I am getting to my point, Um, is that with movement, you know, when you put a baby on their tummy, which sometimes they don't like to do because they have to lift their head, and those muscles haven't quite developed yet. But they're not going to develop unless you do do that. So, uh, you know, and when that child is learning to crawl and when that child is learning to pull themselves along the the carpet or or the floor – all these neuros, all these neurons within the spinal cord and the brain are making those connections. Without that movement, they're not making the connections. So I go back to early childhood development, and this is a physiology. Are we looking at these things as, you know, as a medical fraternity to say, hold on a second? You know, the South African government should be saying to parents that children under the age of three should not be exposed to television. You know, children under the age of three should be, um, you know, going through a certain amount of exercise on their tummies or exercises that are going to develop the the um, neurological system. And a very long-winded question. But, you know, is there anything like that? In terms of 
protocols? Or? In terms of, you know, is, is our medical community communicating with governments to say these are the standards? So, for example, um, you know, they found that soya. Soya is, uh, is actually a number of risks with soya. So France, Denmark, and Israel have banned soya. You're not allowed to give soya in any form. Soya products, milk, anything to children under the age of three. Um, And these governments, you know, it's the the medical and it's the health food fraternity that's actually pushing it um, or advocating for it. So is there some a kind of drive like that in South Africa? With regards to the link between... Watching TV and not early being childhood development. Yeah. Watching TV, not playing outside, not moving as much, being having a more sedentary yes. lifestyle, yes. and a link between ADHD to try to minimise the risk yes. of developing a disorder like this. There isn't within the medical fraternity and within a paediatric and a child psychiatry setting. We're we're very much aware of the link between. Watching large amounts of TV, we call it screen time because it's not just TV; it's the iPads. The brain goes to sleep. It's iPads and computer screens and cell phones, so we call it screen time, and that's exactly what happens with children with ADHD. And when you were saying that the child focuses on the TV, and often the parent will say, "But my child doesn't have a problem with concentration no, because they, they can concentrate. concentrate on the TV yeah. for hours." That's the hyperfocus because they're focused on that stimuli and because the orbitofrontal cortex helps us with shifting attention to other things and coming back. So you could speak to a child who's watching TV and this child has ADHD. They're not going to hear what you're saying because they're hyper-focused on the TV. Their brain goes to sleep. Their eyes aren't moving. So recently what we see is large numbers of children with problems with their eyesight not because there's a problem with visual acuity, but because they don't move their eyes. So it's actually their muscular. muscles become lazy, so they can't copy off of the blackboard at school because they're so used to staring at a screen all of the time. Studies have shown that the more TV a child watches on a daily basis, with every hour of TV that they watch, they're more at risk of developing ADHD. Why is this not being communicated to parents? That's the part that I don't understand, is that if we know, we can actually prevent the development of these conditions, which can be anything from moderate to very severe. And somebody who is severely ADHD, you know, as an example, um, even with medication needs to be in, in in a special learning environment, you know. It's something that will be with them for the rest of their lives. Why are we not preventing this as parents? Exactly. I think part of the problem is that as much as there is awareness about certain disorders, what is lacking is the kind of education that these all parents require in terms of parenting, rearing children in the world we live in today. So... How we parent is often based on how we were parented, but and how our friends are parenting. How, how our friends are parenting, but it's a very different world that kids are living in today. So, if you look at twenty years ago, children were doing different things. So, children were playing outside more. Thirty years ago, bicycles, bicycles right. playing outside, using their imaginations, very imaginative play, forming relationships and bonds with other children, growing and developing. And what children are doing now is that they're sitting in front of the TV or they're on their iPad playing games, staring at a screen. And like you said, their brain is going to sleep. So certain pathways are being activated, yes, doing these activities, but not the pathways that we require in order to grow, to develop, to learn more. So what people often say is that the child is very, very bright because they can swipe and they can play these games and they can fix the phone. But actually, they're not developing other areas. They're not developing other which pathways, are more essential which are to very essential to learning, to development, to growing. And that's part of the problem with technology is brilliant. 
it's changed the world. But in terms of what technology is doing for children who struggle with these sort of problems and have a neurodevelopmental disorder is that if it's not supervised, so there's a place and a time for everything. And that is why we advocate and try as much as possible to inform parents that there's a time, there's a place, everything should have its... But it's after the fact. It's after the fact. It is after the fact, but it can mitigate the problems that children with inattention and hyperactivity have. So So interesting because, uh, you know, if I look at, you know, it's actually rolled out in in the private schools when grade eight learners now go into high school, right? Grade 8 is your first year of high school, no? Yes. Right. Great. Um, they don't have textbooks anymore. They have iPads, and you go and you download your textbook, and you download this app, and you download that app. You're increasing the um, the screen time, which puts part of your brain to sleep, okay? It puts uh, the prefrontal and the orbital cortex to sleep. And you're doing it during the developmental years of the child. Uh, Dr. Pa- uh, Dr. Partha, I think she said a little bit earlier, is that up until your 20s, your brain is still developing and growing. The brain does a very interesting thing. At the age of 15, right, so up until the age of 15, you've got all your cells. I mean, the human brain is just magnificent. It is just, and it's so fascinating. So the... The human brain, um, you've got all these cells and they're just multiplying, 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 multiplying. At the age of 15, there's like a culling process, right? And all the different centers that have been um, stimulated are the ones that are active and those are the ones that are retained. And the different centers that have been inactive are the ones that are culled. So... um, this was research that was actually, it was released, I think, about two years ago, um, and it was in relation to drug addiction and, you know, um, pleasure centers, but it works with all the other centers in the brain as well. So it's it's actually quite dire when you think of the situation that we're putting our children through. It is, in, in terms of... And then we medicate. That's that's true. In terms of substances, though, that that's a that's a different disorder. So the pathways there are a bit different in terms of what gets called. Well, we we refer to it as pruning. Oh, so pruning. That's it. Yes. Pruning. So the, the <laughs> human brain is being pruned. We we were born with billions and billions of cells, and so as we develop. We, it's not necessarily the amount of cells, because remember, we don't even use all of the cells within our brain. We go through pruning of different areas, and if you don't use it, like you're saying, you're going to lose it. So the parts of the area that are more active and more simulated will be retained, so that as we develop, we develop skill sets. We develop an aptitude for certain things, and that's how we go through during childhood, during adolescent and early adulthood is when we develop these skills, but we need to develop them. We need to make use of the areas of the brain that's going to assist us with using these skills and learning, and that's part of the whole learning process because we we want more communication in our brain of certain areas, and we want to get rid of the cells that are not involved in those pathways and that's what the whole culling and pruning process is with development of the brain it's absolutely fascinating but i just think that we need to kind of step away from commercialization actually look at what's good for our children okay so they won't be exposed to television um dr Pather, is there a connection between adhd and depression Yes. So Yes. Yes. Okay. Definitely there is a connection. Um in term within the child psychiatry fraternity, what we always we often say is comorbidity, so co occurring disorders is the norm as opposed to a single disorder that we're dealing with. And that is because within child psychiatry the onset of disorders and illness is at a crucial stage developmentally and neurodevelopmentally. So if you have 
challenges or difficulty with certain areas, that has a knock-on effect on other areas. So with ADHD, for example, and depression, the problem with ADHD is that often a child isn't diagnosed or treated or receiving the kind of attention and therapy that they may need for a period of time. There's often a delay or a lag between the occurrence of symptoms and receiving the right kind of help. And during that period, the child is exposed to a lot of negative feedback in the classroom, on the playground. They can be isolated. They can be isolated. People don't understand. Why did this boy blurt this out? He's so rude. Or why did he not do his homework? He's lazy. So there's a lot of negative feedback. And the parents at home scream at the child, why didn't you pick your toys up? It's bath time. We've been screaming for the last hour. Why haven't you gotten into the bath? It's a lot of negative feedback and often very little positive feedback. So that affects self-esteem in a huge way. And that is what contributes to problems like anxiety symptoms and depression. Do you know about the indigo children? Have you have you heard about indigo children? So indigo children, uh, it was actually a, it's according to it's a pseudo scientific new age concept. Okay, pseudo scientific. Yeah. Okay. okay, so it's not really scientific mm-hmm. because there's no on um, there's, there's no proof of it. But apparently, these indigo children are children who are believed to possess special, unusual, and sometimes supernatural traits or abilities. And uh, you know, alongside more and more children being diagnosed with ADHD you've got parents who are saying no 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 my child's not going to take medication my child is an indigo child and uh, you know all of these skills that they or these special talents that they have now they will use one day we've just got to nurture that Uh, we've got to take a break when we come back uh, I want to talk about the importance of diet in ADHD and uh, medication we go we're going to be also taking your questions and your comments uh, there are messages coming through but and we'd love to hear from you you know weigh in on your thoughts your feelings and your ideas about uh, ADHD are you ADHD what age were you di- diagnosed love to know 34519 that's the sms line alternatively you can whatsapp on 061 one four eight two three seven four, and you can send that from anywhere in the world that you're listening to us. You're on one o one point nine FM. This is Disco Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla, and uh, my guest is Dr. Savani Partha. She is a uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist, and uh, we're going to be taking your messages after this. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Disco. Pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this is the Discam Medical Monday. My guest this morning is Dr. Savani Partha. She is a, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. She uh, practices at a really good therapist center. <laughs> is that really the name of the center? Yes, it is the name of the center. It is a really good therapist center. <laughs> Where is it located? It's located in Edinburgh, Ravonia, just off of Ravonia. Road. Oh, so it's the bottom of Ravonia by all the shops. Yes, where all the oh, okay. uh, shopping centres are just off Kelvin, just past Kelvin Drive. Yes. Okay, so uh, we're talking about ADHD. And, uh, you know, we started off talking about the human development on the brain, of the brain. And uh, just to very quickly summarise what Dr. Partha said is that uh, ADHD is actually, it's not located, but it is... Uh, the prefrontal cortex and the orbital cortex. So that's uh, if you think of your forehead and your temples, it's that part of the brain that um, is not functioning the way that it should be functioning, essentially. Uh, Those areas, the prefrontal cortex and the orbital cortex, control our impulsivity, our focus, and our ability to shift attention. So uh, think about this. You're having a conversation with somebody. You can shift your attention, see somebody else throwing a ball across the field, and still continue your conversation. Uh, Somebody with ADHD can't do that because they don't have that ability of shifting attention and then bringing it back. Uh, 
We've spoken about early childhood development, the impact of screen time, whether it's a television, whether it's an iPad, whether it's playing on your phone. It has an impact on the development of the child. And uh, if you want to look at children who um, are exposed to television early versus children that are not exposed to television, there are many uh, there are many people who don't like to keep a television in their homes, and I think it's it's something that's actually growing more and more. Uh, you can actually see a marked difference. You know, often you'll see children who don't have a television at home are able to engage in imaginative play much easier than children who do have a television at home because there it's being fed. Um, you know, listening to a story, if you think back to your own childhood, if uh, if you were read stories either by your teacher, by a parent, as the teacher or the parent was reading the story, you were imagining this all in your mind. That's part of development. That's essential development. When you're watching uh, a screen, it's actually feeding you exactly what it is that it wants you to see. It's uh, It's astounding. And... It, I just find it uh, very, very concerning that while we know the, the we know the causes of it, we know what is causing this, uh, you know, this non-development, if you want to call it that way, of uh, the prefrontal cortex and the orbital cortex. We're doing nothing to prevent it. Nobody's communicating to to parents who are expecting a child through our family planning clinics. Say, do not expose your child to television. Because that that would completely take away the problem, would it not? You're correct. Where we need the area that we need to be targeting is expectant mothers, antenatal clinics, in order to prevent. And prevention is better than cure because there are no cures. We can very adequately manage these disorders, but instead of what happens is that we then focus attention on the one end and we often forget about the other end. So we, in this country, very often neglect preventative management and strategies. And at the other end, we have a lot larger numbers of children who are struggling. And it actually would be more cost-effective if we targeted young mothers, expectant mothers, and we focused more on early childhood development rather than when the child has already gotten into school and is experiencing problems within our schooling system and then trying to solve issues there. Dr. Partha, um, Mike has actually weighed in. He says, I was late in joining this discussion, so this may be a repeat. Uh, this information has been available for at least 15 years. The mm. high flicker rate of screens is what is the cause of a lot of ADHD. Uh, when Barney the dinosaur became the babysitter, we created a generation of lazy eyes, which after getting used to the high flicker rate cannot read stationary print. Instead of simple eye exercises which will strengthen the eyes, a child is often classified as ADHD and medicated incorrectly. The new study in neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Oh, Okay. <laughs> predictive text I'm assuming uh, the new study in neuroplasticity show you can grow new neuropathways at any time in life how do we do that so what we were talking about before is pruning and getting rid of certain cells but the brain does have a capacity for regrowth not all parts of the brain and neuroplasticity in terms of the age pathways and the areas of the brain that's implicated in ADHD, it's it's not something that can occur. So what we say to parents is that your child's pathways work this way and that's part of him because he does have attention deficit problems or he's a hyperactive child. That area of his brain functions that way. And and it's often the case that children and teenagers will continue to have symptoms in adulthood because their their thinking is different. There's like we're saying, there isn't anything anatomically different with their brains. It doesn't look any different from a brain of a child who doesn't have ADHD. Both the pathways, the circuits work differently. So neuroplasticity is involved if there's damage 
So if you have it's an headache, amazing thing how the how the brain actually does have the capacity to regenerate. Yes. If you think of people who have had uh, head injuries, yes. So parts of the brain with therapy after a motor vehicle accident with a head injury or a fall in a child. There's stroke a capacity even. with strokes as yeah. well. There's a capacity for regeneration, neuroplasticity, and other areas of the brain taking on functions that the damaged area previously took on, uh, previously were involved with. But in terms of ADHD, that isn't the case. Wh- the other comment that he made was about the, the high about flicker the eye, yeah. and the lazy eye. That has definitely in the last 15 to 20 years with the advent of more TV and more TV, iPads, computer games, children being in front of a screen. Screen time. So much of the time, screen time, having iPads at school. That's definitely what has happened. So it's not necessarily the flicker rate with programs like Barney or very or watching cartoons having that stimuli that's so bright and colorful as opposed to other uh, computer games as well that are very bright and colorful as opposed to other games. It's, it's staring at a screen and not using the muscles to move the eye at all, which then leads to problems in school with reading off of a blackboard or reading it from a textbook. And most importantly, children who are at the age of five to six to seven who are in grade our grade one will have the most problems with that because it's the foundation stage. It's getting into more formal learning, learning your ABCs and starting to write. Hmm. And if you have problems there, then that's going to have ramifications and consequences for all of your learning and development that that come afterwards. It's actually extraordinary. I just realized um, I was born in 1970. South Africa only got television in 1976. My generation is the last generation to have not been exposed as babies to television. television. Exactly. So we've Which had is probably why I just don't understand. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What today's generation is going through and the challenges that they face in, in the most basic, basic uh, tasks of reading, not being able to see it. You know, are these children now being diagnosed as dyslexic? I mean, how how does it all go together? Well, dyslexia is a, a learning disorder. It's a language-based learning disorder, which is often prevalent with ADHD. And children with the combination of ADHD and dyslexia have very specific requirements in terms of a learning environment. Um Having ADHD is difficult enough. Having a severe learning disorder on top of that, like dyslexia, makes things very difficult. And, and having a mental health disorder or mental health issue, issue. like depression, you yes. said that there is a correlation between ADHD and depression. Yes. Depression as well as anxiety, learning disorders, and sometimes behavioral symptoms as well. Because there is the, the, the initial problem with attention and hyperactivity that has the knock-on effect on all of these other areas and then the development of comorbid um, disorders. Yeah. Sarah says, uh, hi, doctor and Kathy. I was diagnosed in adulthood as ADD. Both my sons didn't grow up watching TV. That had incredible imaginative play. But one is, is ADD and the other is ADHD. Can this be hereditary? Yes. That's a great question. Thank you, Sarah. If you want to send through any questions, you may do so on uh, WhatsApp 062-148-2374. That's the WhatsApp number. Or you can SMS 34519. Great question. That's an excellent question. We hadn't gotten to that stage of yes. our discussion on ADHD yet, but that's great. Um, there's an incredibly high heritability rate in ADHD. So the transmission rate is up to 90%. Wow. So like we say, things run in families. ADHD definitely runs in families. Irrespective of whether it's mum or dad. Irrespective of whether so it's mum or dad. So if you've got one parent... You've got a ninety. If you've got one parent with ADHD, you've, you've got a ninety percent chance mm-hmm. that you'll also have it. Mm-hmm. And then the implications are vast because 
if your parent is struggling with the same condition that you are struggling with, that makes it quite difficult for the parent as well as the child in terms of communicating, in terms of what we try to advocate to parents with providing the kind of environment that their child will flourish in because they have their own challenges with ADHD. Now, we were talking earlier about uh, a child with ADHD. While they don't have the capacity or the capability of focusing in the classroom, the things that interest them, they will focus on intensely. Is that not something that could actually serve them? As, the, as they go through life. That's the, the hyper-focus that we were talking about earlier. In certain instances it can, and especially with children who have a higher IQ, so the, your children that are brighter and don't require as much attention and can work independently and grasp things very quickly, they're able to learn more in that space of time that they're able to concentrate for before they're distracted and they go off and do something else. So the hyperfocus helps, especially if they have um, an aptitude for something or a skill or an interest. And if we cultivate that, if we motivate um, that they are involved in arts and crafts and other sort of things that will promote learning in those areas, that can actually be very beneficial to the child. So, It's not part of the problem. Is that uh, So you've got a child that's got this um, hyper-attention for an area that they're very interested in, right? Um, but they are still, because of the hyperactivity element, they are unable to complete tasks even with that. So, I mean, if you had to take it and, and say, well, you know, there's a child who's got this hyper, uh, this hyper attention, that this intense focus on, uh, I don't know, on business or on commerce, right? Um, you know, as an adult, could that be taken and used to, to propel them to become the next Richard Branson? Or is it a case of that child does still, because of their hypertension or their intense focus, they are unable to complete the tasks that would enable them to take effective action to become the next Richard Branson. Do you understand the That's question? That's exactly it. So the latter. You, you, in order to be able to fulfill your potential, you actually need to have a basis. And that basis is is your foundation in primary school. So you've got to start off with the little baby steps before you can get to the point where this is what I'm really interested in and this is what I'm going to focus more attention on. But with a child with ADHD, if they're unmedicated, they're not going to get to that stage because they've struggled with the basics in order to get them to the point where they can then hone in skills and then develop in certain areas a bit more and then they go off to a tertiary level of education. But you need your basics in order to get you to that point. Very interesting. Um, we've got to wrap up in about five minutes. I can't, be, I can't believe how fast this hour has gone. But uh, if you've got any questions, best you send them through right now on 34519 or uh, 062-148-2374. I'm Kathy Kaler. My guest just sm- this morning is Dr. Savani Partha. She is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. We're talking about ADHD. Um, what's the relevance of diet? Is diet important? Is it not a factor? Is it just all about development of the brain? I think diet plays a role, not as large a role as is portrayed, I think, in the media I often. My kids growing up was like, no, you can't give them sugar. They'll be bouncing off the walls. It's true, actually. They do bounce off the walls when, when you give them sugar. That's true, but anyone who has a large amount of sugar is going to have a sugar rush. Yes. You're going to have a headache from having too much sugar. But a child with ADHD is going to have more of an intense sugar rush. So that is why we advocate not giving children very sugary food, very sugary soft drinks to maintain a sugar level at um, a stable level and not to have spikes. So that is why we would advocate to limit the amount of those sort of foods, but not to cut them out. It's not that they're causing ADHD symptoms. It's that having a sugar rush when you have ADHD is not the same as 
someone who doesn't have ADHD having an intense rush with a high level of sugar. Mm-hmm. So they will be bouncing off the walls because their baseline energy level is just so much higher than someone without hyperactivity. Okay, so I've got another question for you, and this comes down to, uh, you know, our human development, I suppose. Um, Jewish thought, and I do need to bring it in, being a Jewish radio station, Jewish thought is that we are actually getting more stupid every generation, um, being that the further away we get from, uh, from Sinai, those, our ancestors were much more connected uh, naturally, spiritually to the universe and that we are getting more and more disconnected and with that we are getting less intelligent, right, which is why we actually need to develop all these apps. Um, modern science and Darwinism will say, you know, there is this concept of evolution. Is it possible that ADHD is just another step in, in human evolution? That's an interesting question. <laughs> because especially when you look at hereditary, you know, or heredity, is that parents are passing it on to children who will pass it on to their children who will pass it on, on to, to their, their children. children. And, uh, you know, just different ways of operating, of doing things. Maybe it's just natural and we should uh, not be fighting it we or medicating it. We should be embracing it. it. Yeah, maybe. Just the thought. It is, it is an interesting thought. We're now Homo sapiens sapien, as opposed to uh, hundreds of years ago when we were Homo sapien, with human development yeah, and evolution. And, and next time we chat, maybe we might be Homo sapiens sapien bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> we might be. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Uh, before we wrap up, wrap up, let's just talk about medications. Yes. Um, I think that there's three primary medications that are used to treat ADHD. Is that right? Well, it's two classes or categories. Yeah. So you've got stimulant medication yeah. and you've got non-stimulant medication. What we use, which is our first-line medication and has the most evidence base, is your stimulants, methylphenidate, which is Ritalin or Concerta, and our non-stimulant medication, which is Atomoxetine or Stratera. And we make the choice between the two categories based on the child's needs and what is present within that child. The most evidence is for Ritalin. Most studies that we have, and there have been lots of studies, show that Ritalin is a very, very efficient drug if used correctly. And it's a matter of managing the child with the medication, not handing out the medication and not Do you managing think it's overdiagnosed? the child. I think in certain settings there's overdiagnosis and in other settings there's underdiagnosis. That's just, I, f- I find it incredible because, you, you know, you often hear how nursery school teachers are telling parents your child needs to go on Ritalin. The kid's three years old. You know, there's only so, you know, at some point you've got to, children have got to be allowed to be children. Exactly. Um, which raises a whole nother question. But, uh, you know, how do we ensure that it, there isn't an overdiagnosis of it? Well, the first step is if the teacher at your school or a caregiver or whoever is involved in your child's life is concerned about symptoms of ADHD, you have to ask yourself about the developmental stage. So is this appropriate or not? A, theor- a three-year-old who's quite energetic... As they are. As they are. But if you have 23-year-olds in a room and there's one that really stands out as being... Disruptive. Very disruptive and really has huge amounts of energy as much as the rest of them put together, then you have a child who might be developing ADHD and might need to see a pediatrician or a child and adolescent psychiatrist. But they might not at that point necessarily need medication then because it's still appropriate for a child of that age to be running around and playing because that's what children are supposed to be doing. Mm. They're not in a formal learning environment yet. But you'd be concerned and you'd monitor whether the child later on when they're in a school environment has symptoms that are impacting on their learning ability. So that's where you'd be concerned. You wouldn't step in and 
medicate a little child who's playing and who is developing appropriately. Um, so that does happen often. You have to look at the context as well. Where is the child? Is it appropriate? And what's motivating and how's his request? The teacher? Exactly. What's I think that that's very, very the important. The relationship between the teacher, the environment that the child has been placed in, has a huge impact on the well-being of the child, the learning and the development of your child. So you have to look at that. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's uh, who's a ch- child is a teenager at high school, and and uh, they had just changed schools. And I said to her, "Why did you change school?" She said, "Because every report." At the bottom of the report was so-and-so, the child's name, is not living up to his, her potential. And my question is, well, that's a teacher's responsibility if it's happening in the classroom, right? So they changed schools. An interesting thing. All of a sudden, this child became a top achiever because there was so much stimulus. There was, a, there was pressure put on the child, but there was so much to do is that the child wasn't being fed things very, very slowly, the information. It was coming at the rate that the child could cope with. And that challenged the child, and all of a sudden the child was engaged in subjects and uh, became a star achiever. So I think that you know, another conversation, maybe we can do this uh, in ADHD Awareness Month, uh, is talking about education. And Definitely. our education system maybe will be part of that panel. Definitely. I'd like that. <laughs> All right, and that's how we get to the end of uh, this Discam Medical Monday. Thank you very, very much to uh, Dr. Savani Partha. She is a, she's a, a child and adolescent psychiatrist in private practice. She practices at a really good therapist center, therapist center and that's uh, located in, uh, in Edinburgh, in Ravonia. Thank you very, very much. I am going to ask Mandy to put all these details up on the High FM uh, Facebook page so that you can, you know, if you want to get in touch, get in touch with her. It's uh, important. And if you've got young children, do not expose them to screen time. Please, please. I wouldn't even do it with your dogs. I wouldn't. Next thing, dogs will be diagnosed with ADHD. Anyway, I'll be back uh, Some next. Some are. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> uh, I'll be back next week. Thank you very, very much for joining me. God bless. Take care of yourself. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Diskem.